0: This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is May 8th, 2021. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio.
1: Uh, Mike Larkin. I was there from 1982 through 1984 uh, as a student, and then I was there through 85 as an alumni.
0: Okay. Uh, What shows did you work on while you were at Hofstra Radio?
1: Uh, I worked on the classics from Hofstra, uh, The Land of Make-Believe, I uh, did a Sunday night show, which was metal-based called Powerhouse, um, and then I also produced uh, several shows like Learning About the Law, a uh, Spanish music program, and and helped with a few others.
0: The Land of Make-Believe, that was a jazz show?
1: That was uh, the Afternoon Jazz Program, that is correct.
0: Okay. And what titles or positions did you hold while you were at the station?
1: uh i was the remote operations chief for a short time then i became the executive engineer and then i was the station manager from 83 through 84 when uh, wvhc became wrhu
0: momentous times i'm sure i'm sure we can we can talk about that at some point when you were on the air did you use your your own name or did you have an on-air name or nicknames no it was just my real name okay um, so two part question and answer it, whatever makes sense to you, but I'm always interested what first brought people to the radio station, what, what got you to Hofstra radio. And then when you got there, what was it like? Do you remember meeting particular people? Where was the station? What did it look like? If you could give us a picture of that. Uh,
1: so I, I spent my first year at college out of Dowling and I was on the campus radio station there, which was not really a broadcast station. It was, a you know, inside the, the uh, campus itself, broadcast to the campus. And then uh, I came to Hofstra in 81, and I was a computer science major for a year and wasn't really thrilled with that. So then I, I went over and uh, I actually started uh, my junior year in the communications curriculum, and I was able to finish all of that in two years. Uh, I may hold the most waivers ever uh, at Hofstra. <laughs> I don't know if that's a record to be proud of, but I do have a few of them. And uh, what brought me to the station was I always had an interest in that, uh, in broadcasting. And uh, I started uh, taking the introductory television class, the black and white TV class. I don't know if that was even around when you were there, Mm. Uh, but it was the first introductory class you had. And after that, uh, I found out about the radio station, which at the time was uh, at the end of the hall in memorial uh, in temporary studios, basically. While they were building the final studios that I worked in uh, down the little ramp um, in Memorial. Uh, I helped move over the equipment from the little theater. We were still taking stuff out of there. So it was a transitional time. But uh, when I met some of the first people, it was a very uh, interesting group that I
0: met. Do you remember particular names? So uh, I I met
1: Mike Kluger uh, as one of the first people. Um, Rick and Kathy Pyatt uh, Mark D'Agostino known as Vinny the blade, uh, John Blen, Rick, uh, Walchewski, Uh, you know, those were the people that were around at that time who were, um, they were at the radio station for a couple of years. So those were the first people you were exposed to.
0: Okay. Um, this, the transition time seems very interesting to me because you were, uh, uh, moving physical studios the the name of the station is changing the call letters are are changing so i remember when i was there in the 90s the studio was down the ramp from the men's room at the far end of memorial (laughs) hall where were the temporary studios
1: so if you came out of the uh men's room and you made a right there were a couple of rooms right there um I don't know what they became later on. They could have become classrooms. I don't even remember. But those were just a couple of rooms. It was basically you had an on-air studio and a production studio. That was it.
0: Interesting. So so you get over to the station. You had some experience at Dowling. You were interested mm-hmm. in radio. But as you get there, were there training classes that you had to go through? Were there engineering and announcing courses that you took? Uh,
1: it, it was kind of free form at that time. Um, you took an announcing class. You took a uh, an engineering class. But – it was a time, and it's much different, obviously, now with the the, with the way the school is designed. We were part of the cultural arts department at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we weren't even part of the communications department. All of our funding came out of cultural arts, which was an interesting thing for uh, Jeffrey to maneuver uh, way back when. So the, the reason we got all of our funding to build those new studios was because we were going to carry the classics from Hofstra every day. So it was basically, we'd get this funding if we ran classical music. It was interesting with uh, pro quo, I guess. Um, and so we started to build the studios. Uh, much of the uh, soundproofing that you saw in that studio, I put up, uh, Mike put up. Uh, we had to do all the work ourselves. Um, you know, we, we, we didn't have the labor costs to be able to do it. So we did it all ourselves. I show up at many classes covered in spackle, um because i was in between putting up uh and building walls and studios uh i think i'm i I mentioned in when you initially sent me these questions we moved over a thousand records from whli uh over to become the classics from hofster library um teddy ronnenberger who was involved at that time uh over at hli he got us their entire record collection so Mr. D'Antonio and I just threw it in the back of my car and just made about 10 trips and brought it over. So it it was a time where, you know, we didn't have a large budget. I think our whole budget for the entire year was $150,000. And so it wasn't a lot to work with compared to what, you know, exists
0: now. Hmm. The ambition of youth is certainly helpful in in endeavors like that, I think.
1: Uh, I, I don't know if it was youth or the fact that we just wanted to um have a radio station that we could uh, have some funding for it allowed us to go from 8a to 2a it allowed us to um you know a- a- at least get studios that were realistic versus what we were doing in the other uh, in either little theater or memorial hall
0: Okay, so so you got there, at the time they were broadcasting from Little Theatre still, but in transitioning over to Memorial.
1: No, when I got there, we were in Memorial, we were still clearing stuff out of Little Theatre to put wow. into, you know, it was they hadn't emptied the Little Theatre fully yet because they didn't have enough room in the Memorial temporary studios. So we go over to Little Theatre, bring equipment over so that we can put it in the new studios that we were building.
0: Okay. And in terms of being on the air, that was the time the station was transitioning from signing on at 2 p.m. to 8 a.m. And that was the addition of the classics from Hofstra. Is that right? That That, that is correct. Okay. Okay. Because, uh, you know, things were just, were, were never explained that well when we were there in the 90s. It was just, we played the classics and, and you'll like it. And that's what we do. <laughs> so... Uh, it was it was understood that it was, you know, this is what President Stewart wanted. He wanted the classics on. And and that's that's just the way that it is. and You can't do anything about it, even if you don't like it. So to understand how the funding was tied to that and the actual physical build out of the station to me is 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 really interesting. Um, we,
1: we also went from mono to stereo at that time.
0: So, so this is this is a a huge technological change, and and it's changing the 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 way the station sounds and operates. That's that's a really interesting time to be there. Did you know it at the time that this was an interesting time, or is it just you're we're doing this?
1: Uh, Oh, we were all uh, extremely excited because we were new. We knew we were on the uh, cutting edge. um, That Mm -hmm. we were taking a college radio station that uh, to expanded hours, we were able to do more. We had a group of people. That uh, I was involved with there, who went on to do a lot of great things in in this industry, uh, you know. So it was it was a time where there we were going to get it done, and you know we did some things that we needed to do. To you know, I think when I, I sent you my original recap, I, I told you the story of um, we couldn't get any furniture for our office. Our office was on the second floor in Memorial. It was a small room. Um, you came up the back stairs and, and, you know, we couldn't get a lot of furniture. So we'd work with the plant department to find out where furniture was out in the hallway and we'd go appropriate it. And mm-hmm. Jeffrey would come in the next day and go, Oh, you went shopping. Um, <laughs> if it, <laughs> we we, we, were, we had to do what we had to do. Um, we also helped out the drama department and finding stuff for them too. We kind of worked together because they didn't have a lot of funding either. So it was a time in the early eighties, um, uh, that we had to do what we needed to do to get things done.
0: It sounds, it sounds like a very exciting time. It sounds very interesting. So as, as you're getting trained there, engineering-wise and announcing-wise, was there anything that you learned in those classes that stuck with you that was a really good piece of advice? Or was it all just part of the you know soaking in the whole culture and the, and, and the technology of the time?
1: Well, you, you learned how to edit tape, which you don't have to do anymore um you learned how to do multi-track recording on you know we put in the multi-track studio we built that studio which was uh, a a forerunner you know not many people were allowed to use that equipment in the in the multi-track studio Uh, at that time you had to get even more clearance to be able to go in and touch that equipment but as we were wiring that studio and we did all the formica work in there and uh, we had to do it all ourselves uh, it was an interesting time. Uh, you kind of learned on the fly and, and we all helped each other get better at what we were doing.
0: You had some on-air experience, even if it was carrier current or whatever it was, a Dowling, it was limited. but So you get on the air the first time at Hofstra Radio, which I, I guess would have been still WVHC at the time? It was, absolutely. Do you? Do you remember your first time on the air? And if not a specific time, do you remember getting used to being on the air or how you used to feel uh when you're first announcing you're running the board? So
1: if, if you want to get experience, you volunteer to do a lot of shifts, right? So I mm-hmm. volunteered to do a lot of shifts. I would do the class because I would do if I didn't have a class, I, I'd volunteer to be on the air. Because the only way you're going to get better is to get experience. So I would volunteer and put myself on the schedule and do whatever I needed to do to get it done. So I I started on classics. I started on the land of make-believe. And then as I took on more responsibilities at the station, I would uh, just fill in when needed, you know, if somebody didn't show up for a shift. And then I did a Sunday night show, which I created a metal show on Sunday night, which um, I had to convince Jeffrey was a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a fun time on a Sunday night, just to, you know, got a lot of local acts to come on and interview and, you know, broke a lot of artists that were local on that show. So it was fun.
0: But but in terms of, let's say, being nervous on the air, getting used to it, it sounds like you you just jumped right in. Well, I, I spent a year at Dowling.
1: Even though it's carrier current, you still learn to how to do it. You know, you, you learn how to, to to flow records. You learn what to say, how to be brief, how to get a message across. So I did have that experience when I came there.
0: Who were some of the people who were helpful? Uh, at the, you've mentioned a number of names, uh, but who else was around when you were first getting started there that you uh, listened to their show or you were in the studio or working with them that, that were helpful in getting you established at the radio station?
1: Uh, Elliot Lifson, who was at HLI at the time, was doing, um, oh, what was it called? Rave Up? Might have been that the name of the show. I don't even remember. But Elliot was doing a show. I listened to Elliot. He was uh, extremely uh, polished. Obviously, he was a radio professional already. Um, as I said, Kluger was very helpful with engineering. Uh, Rick Walczewski, Gennaro Tallarico, um, Kathy Pyatt, Lori Flynn. All of them were very helpful to the students that were coming in. So uh, I you know, I would send out a thank you to all of them for for helping a, a new person coming into the station.
0: How long do you think it was from the time you got there to feeling comfortable and saying, well, this is the place that I want to spend my time? It sounds like you were very motivated to get in uh, right away, but do you think it was a a couple of weeks, a couple of months? Everybody's got a different sort of barometer for when they feel like this is where I belong.
1: Well, I, I am the type of personality that jumps right in. And if I jump in, I'm jumping into the deep end of the pool. So this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a career out of it. As I said, uh, my first year at Dowling, I was an accounting major. And my second year, when I transferred to Hofstra, I was a computer science major. Um, Would have been great careers, but not me. Uh, And I liked uh, the freedom of this. I liked uh, the expansion. It was a great time to be in radio. It was a fun time to be in radio. You didn't have all the corporate owners. Um, It was great. And I jumped into the deep end and said, "This is what I want to do." So if I decide I want to do something, I'm
0: going to do it. It it, it seems to be sort of that that um, uh, that mentality. Let's let's jump in and and do these things. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about uh, specifically about the technological side or or the equipment side in terms of going from mono to stereo, going from uh, the different studios. Uh, what was your involvement there and how did, how did that stuff sort of come out? It was how much was Jeff involved? How much were this other students involved in getting that stuff done?
1: Well, uh, the equipment was still the old gates boards with the, the you know, the, the old pots on the gates boards um, that worked occasionally. Um, you had to clean them a lot. Uh, we were still working with old equipment. We had a lot of uh, WABC's old equipment that uh, George Thomas Musgrave and Teddy and Sue Ronenberger got us. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of that equipment was stuff they had decided they were going to replace, and we ended up with it. Um, so we were working with old equipment. Um, we didn't have money to buy new equipment. We put the money for the new equipment into the uh, multi-track studio because that was the place to put it. Uh, but the, the rest of the, the equipment was old gates boards and some old turntables and some old reel-to-reels. And we cleaned them a lot. We fixed them a lot. And um, we, had, we had an interesting audio chain, which you still had to use patch cables at that time for the audio sure. chain. And, and half of the stuff didn't even work. Um, you had to go around it a lot of times uh, just to, to get a signal out. It, it was a fun time uh, just trying to get that equipment to work. And, and Frank Grunstein, who was the chief engineer, um, was a, a great help. And just, uh, you know, you get you call Frank. He was the chief engineer at RFM at the time. And, okay, Frank, what am I doing to patch around this now? You know, and then after a while, we just had a sheet that said, if this does this, do this. <laughs> you know, it was mm-hmm. all we could do. We had some old microphones. Uh, it, it was some of the days I wondered how we – we got on the air with some of the stuff we were dealing with. Um, it was fun. You know, the cart machines were very old. Uh, the carts were very old. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, Musgrave sent us... I don't know if you ever heard of ABC Super Radio. Back no. in the, it was So it was supposed to be a national format that ABC was going to launch, and Ingram and, and a few other people were going to be on it. So think of WABC National, okay? So... <laughs> Musgrave sends us all these old carts, but they didn't bulk them before they sent them to us. So I'm driving one time and all of a sudden I hear the ABC Super Radio jingles on the air. I'm like, okay. Um, You know, it was just one of those things where we had to remind everybody if you're given something, please go bulk it really good first. Um, But that's how we operated. You know, Musgrave would just go, "Here's here's a thousand carts. We didn't get new stuff, it was all used, it was all recycled. Um, as I said, if our budget was 150,000, I think the last year when I was there a station manager, I think we were working off about 150 grand and you can imagine trying to run a radio station on that is not easy.
0: No, it no. takes a lot of creativity and a lot of effort and, uh, and, uh, uh, you figure things out as you go along as, 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 you said, it's if, if you don't know how to do it, you figure it out and, and you build off of that. So you have. A lot of great stories. All this experience. We've got the benefit of hindsight, looking back and saying, "This is what your experience was." But if you can, and it's it's hard to do, but if you can put yourself back in your shoes at uh, whatever might have been nineteen or twenty years old, you've you've gone to Dowling, you tried computer science, you're not thrilled with that, and you walk over to the radio station. And in your mindset at the time, what did you hope? Hofstra radio would be as opposed to what, you know, now it was, what did you hope it would be in that moment?
1: I was looking for a creative outlet and looking for a place where I could, um, hone my craft to be able to have a career. And that's what it was. It was a great experience. And, and I, I, you know, Jeffrey was a, an exceptional mentor. You know, if if you showed the effort in the station, well, Jeffrey, you know, would, Put that effort back into you you know so i i can't say enough about uh, you know jeffrey and and everything he did and everything he did for many of us in that era um you know he was the old guard of radio too he was an interesting old timer um you know and it was a great time and he, but he mentored you and he sat with you and he talked with you and and he helped you and if you put in the effort that you know he he worked with the people that really showed the effort Wasn't that he didn't work with everyone, but if you really bought into this and you were going to kill yourself to do this, he was going to help you get there. Hmm.
0: Do you remember meeting him for the first time?
1: I I do. Um, I met him in the office. He was an interesting character. Um, You know, and then uh, I had discussions with him and I wanted to learn and he was willing to talk. And, you know, he was, I, I got in with the, You know, as I said, you know, there were groups of us that hung together that had similar interests. Um, And, you know, we just we would hang with Jeffrey. He talked with us. He just listened. He was a great sounding board. And, you know, that we all learned from him. We were all sponges to what he had to say.
0: Do you remember a time, uh, especially if it was early on in your career at Hofstra Radio, do you remember a moment or a time where, you approached Jeff with an idea or a situation and he gave you good advice or was just like you said a good sounding board or a good advisor
1: I, I think the the greatest thing about Jeff Krause was that he was um, he would keep you level-headed you know we were a bunch of 20 21 year old kids wanting to do what we needed to do. We had WLIR down the block. We had P5 at night. We had Jeff Foss who was running P5. We were breaking artists before LAR was. And we kind of got really full of ourselves. And Jeffrey would bring us back down to earth and say, okay, um, don't get too, you know, ahead of yourselves. Make sure that you're honing your craft and just don't think because you've Done one little thing that you've, you know, cured the common cold. Mm. So that was a great thing about him. He would keep us level-headed and tell us it's a long road as a career, not just you know a short
0: ramp. Mike, these are great stories. Thank you so much for sharing with us and taking the time. And I'm going to come up with more questions, and I'm sure you have more stories. Uh, I'd really love to do this again sometime.
1: I, I would certainly welcome it. It's it was a great time, and as you talk to my peers from that era, um, I, I hope that we were the the team that kind of laid the foundation for what came later. I, I am truly impressed by what I see now. Uh, I believe a multiple time College Station of the the year. Um, you know the the I followed some of the careers of of people that have come out of of Hofstra in the last decade or so. Um, Excellent work. And uh, I hope we were some of the foundation that, you know, made that possible.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely you were. There's not a doubt in my mind. And I think as more people listen to these uh, stories, they'll be able to connect the dots through the decades uh, from what Hofstra Radio was to to what it is today. Thank you uh, for sharing. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing more stories.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.